As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Here's the Catch podcast. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Go, man. Tear it up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. On to week two. David Lombardi with you in California. So is Dennis Brown, Matt Barrows. He's on site with the 49ers over in West Virginia. They're practicing at the Greenbrier this week in between games at Detroit and Philadelphia. Matt, how's it going out there? It's going well. Uh, I am really impressed by the Greenbrier. It's a huge, huge uh, site facility. It's uh, 11,000 acres, uh, complete with uh, two uh, big grass practice fields, and then there's a a turf field below it. There's a whole practice center. So it's, uh, uh, you know, in, in some ways it's better than their and their digs in Santa Clara, which, uh, as you guys know, uh, th- those practice fields aren't even 100 yards long. Uh, so they have full fields here. They've got every amenity you could possibly imagine. And it's, uh, it's grass. And that's the, uh, that's the, the magic word there. They, they, they used to spend their stayovers on the East Coast at Youngstown State, but uh, they did not like the, the fields, the artificial fields there. And uh, as uh, we all know, and as fans painfully know, uh, artificial fields, Dennis, have been the bane of this team. Uh, I'm just wondering whether you guys had the same issues, the same sort of uh, dislike of, uh, of fake grass when you were playing in the, in the 90s. Well, you know, that's an interesting question because back in the 90s, it wasn't as advanced as it is now. It was just basically uh, concrete covered with some green grass. So, you know, the fake artificial turf. So it, it was a different turf. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there were more injuries back then or than there are now, but I, I, I thought the there were some great advancements with, you know, with, with, this, with this field turf stuff now that it was actually supposed to prevent a lot of injuries. So I'm always surprised when I see guys and I looked at, you know, the, the tape of last week and watching uh, Verrett and how he tried to kind of get his balance and his knee buckled once and then it buckled again and I guess that was it. 
And it's just, you know, I, I thought it was enough give on this this new AstroTurf that guys wouldn't get hurt. But it, it, that's not the case, at least not for the 49ers, because they seem to have a, a lot of issues when it comes to playing on turf. Um, but I remember the Philadelphia turf way back when, when there was a seam right down the middle of the field, and it was notorious for, for guys blowing their knees out. But again, that was in the 90s when it was just basically artificial turf over concrete, and you were just basically playing on concrete. So... It's interesting to me how, the, how especially the 49ers, keep having all these freak injuries, and it's always on AstroTurf. Yeah, it used to not look like grass. It used to actually look, and I guess it felt like concrete. And yeah. maybe the, the injuries were, were different back then because the, the problem now with this field turf is that it does have some give, but it also does have some grab. And they've done studies now. It's definitive at this point that there are more ACL uh, tears on on this new field turf than there are natural grass, which has more give because obviously there can be a divot created um, if your foot gets stuck. So there's going to be some slide there. But in this new field, there's there's not as much slide. And who knows? Maybe back in the day, Dennis, when you guys were playing and you're playing on that turf that you know really actually looked like concrete and probably felt like it felt like it. Maybe there was more give than there is now. But that means that probably there were more concussions and bruises because you were literally falling down on something that uh was hard right back in the day i remember vet you're talking about veteran stadium in philadelphia yeah. that place uh that that place was a dump right that was run down but it but had a good atmosphere i'm guessing when you played there yeah you know philly fans remind me a lot of 49er fans because they're so passionate and that's going to be one thing that's going to be one of the big things come sunday if you can control that that in the the environment, I mean, and, and that's going to be on the defensive side, trying to shut down this explosive offense that we saw last Sunday with the Eagles against the Falcons. So that's going to be a, a, another matchup that I'll be looking at if they can kind of control the environment a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Mike McGlinchey today, and I, I asked him how often they went to a silent count in Detroit because they were preparing for that. They're playing in a dome, uh, first, first game of the season, first game of the new coach's regime. He said... Uh, only a few times, and uh, on third down, uh, they're playing um, outdoors in, in Philadelphia on Sunday, but uh, McGlinchey, a Philly native, knows that crowd very well, uh, thinks that they're going to have to go silent count the whole game just because, it, it as Dennis says, it is a very passionate uh, home base. There's not going to be uh, certainly as many uh, 49ers fans at that game as uh, there were in Detroit, although there, there will be uh, over 100 people in the McGlinchey party. Uh, uh, his, his relatives, his friends will be there in the stands. I'm sure there, there'll be a, a lot of uh, 49ers fans, but I bet a lot of his, his uh, closest associates are, are still diehard Eagles fans too. So it, it, uh, it's going to be... Matt, did you say 100? Yes, uh, over 100 <laughs> And, and here's something else, Dennis. He's ordering, once they get in to Philly on Saturday, he's ordering over 100 Philly cheesesteaks for the 49ers because he's so proud of Philadelphia oh, yeah. and, its, oh, yeah. uh, and its famous uh, eatery. Well, John Taylor used to always, he was a native, a Philly native, and Ricky Waters did the same thing. Every time we went to Philly, we would always get in our rooms when we landed uh, Philly Philly steak cheese sandwiches, and on the on the trip back, we always had Philly steak sandwiches. So, and I've never tasted one that's that even close. 
to the original coming from Philly anywhere close in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, they have a rivalry there, right? Geno's and Pat's in, in Philly. Those are the two that are across the, the street from each other. And then there are a couple more that, that aren't as touristy that, that actual natives swear by. So Mike McGlinchey didn't have a chance to do this in 2017 because he wasn't with the 49ers yet. That was their last visit to Philadelphia. Speaking of, of the flight back, when I was on my flight back from Philly – in 2017, that's when the 49ers traded with the New England Patriots for Jimmy Garoppolo. So people often forget about that Eagles game because it all turned into a flurry right after that. Uh, Garoppolo came over. It was his birthday, I think, a day or two after that. He sat on the bench for three games, and then he started five, and the 49ers won those five to close 2017. And then they drafted Mike McGlinchey, the Philly native, in 2018. So now the 49ers make their return to the site of what was just a grisly scene, Matt, uh, in in, in 2017, yeah. I, I still consider that the nadir of the Kyle Shanahan era. It was pouring rain. The 49ers had almost no healthy offensive linemen. It, it was really bad. Guys were just running on fumes. C.J. Beathard started the game. Joe Staley was knocked out of it when he fractured his orbital, orbital bone right underneath his eye. And it looked uh, to be very close to a situation where the 49ers were going to have to play Garrett Selleck, a tight end, at right tackle. They were seconds away from having to do that. But it, I, think, I think it was Brandon Fusco, the offensive lineman who was down and hurt, got back up and was able to keep on playing. But needless to say, C.J. Beathard got hit, and he got hit a lot, and the 49ers got beaten by a lot by the eventual Super Bowl champion Eagles. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My flight back from Philly story is that, uh, of course, we fly commercially, whereas the team takes a, a private uh, charter out from uh, wherever they're playing the, the night of the game. Well, on that, on that commercial flight the next day, Monday, was Joe Staley. Um, he was flying with a couple of trainers. He had to spend the night. Uh, remember, in that game, he took a, a, an inadvertent fist to the face from Fletcher Cox, I believe it was. Was still, yes, it was. was still playing. And it fractured his eye, as, uh, as, as David just noted. Um, and uh, let's just say it was the friendliest I've ever seen Joe Staley. He was uh, uh, maybe took a, a couple of painkillers uh, that, that morning, but uh, it was, uh, you, you never see a member of the 49ers flying commercially, uh, and he was because he had to spend the night in, in Philadelphia. So it, it was just a brutal, brutal game. I think one of the rare highlights was that Matt Breida sort of his uh, his coming out party. He was an undrafted rookie that year and had a had a long touchdown, but that might have been the only highlight. Uh, Pierre Garçon got uh, hit in the neck, and it seemed like a minor injury at first, and then they 
realize that a little nodule on his spine right right below his neck got chipped off i mean it was just a you know uh, i hate to say it it's sort of a sign of things to come for the shanahan era 49ers where they just have these weird freak injuries uh on the road and um uh it's gonna be uh dennis it's gonna be a really interesting game because last year if you'll recall uh, the the two 49ers offensive tackles struggled, and that that includes Trent Williams, who who never struggles, and uh, he led up a, a sack, I think, to to Josh Sweat, and uh, Derek Barnett had a nice game for Philadelphia. Um, Brandon Graham, who uh, never seems to get old out there, he's always on that team, had another good game. Uh, it's a very different defensive front than the one that the 49ers just faced. Offensive line did really well, I thought, against Detroit. This one, Dennis, is a little bit different, and uh, it, it uh, might be a nice uh, revenge or at least rebound game for those offensive tackles. You know, and that's another key to this game is is, is keeping Jimmy Garoppolo upright and, and protecting him. But you mentioned Fletcher Cox. He's been doing it for a long time, and he's a he's a vet, and it's going to be a challenge for this for this offensive line. But I looked I looked at him. Like the, the tape from the from the Eagles or from the uh, the Lions game, and they look good. They impressed me. I mean, we saw we saw uh, Elijah Mitchell with over a hundred yards. We saw um, Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball around over three hundred yards, and uh, it's it's going to be a challenge for them because this is the, the, Philadelphia is kind of a sneaky good football team, and you know they got some good guys on the defensive line, and they can still come off the ball and get after the pass rushers, and they defend the run really well. So the 49ers are going to have to have good games, offense and defensive line. It, the trenches are going to have to be dominated by the by both sides, on both sides of the ball, to have a successful game. Because again, at offensive line, uh, the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, they're good. The defensive line is good. So in the trenches is when the game is going to be won and lost. Like always. Yeah, let's look at that matchup first. 49ers offense against the Eagles defense because this is where Philadelphia has kept it constant for years and years and years now. I mean, when Mike McGlinchey was growing up in high school in Philly, he, he was watching guys like Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham dominate for the Eagles, and they're still there. And Kyle Shanahan said Wednesday, this is one of the best defensive lines in football, and it seems like it's just stayed constant for 10 years. Last season, it gave the 49ers, again, all kinds of trouble. Obviously, it did in 2017. It was the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl and the 49ers were were uh, very thinned out due to injury. Well, last year, the 49ers were two. They were in better shape than they were in 2017, but uh, Garoppolo wasn't starting, and that was the game where Nick Mullins threw that pick six late, and the 49ers probably should have won because the Eagles' offense couldn't do much, but uh, the 49ers' offense could do less against that that Eagles' front. I remember Mike McGlinchey had a bad showing. He got beaten on the right tackle side there a, a couple times in that game in critical spots, and it, this is going to be a litmus test for the 49ers' offensive line You know, with, with Grant with uh, Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle. Fletcher Cox obviously plays on the inside. Derek Barnett. I mean, Ryan Kerrigan is now on this Philadelphia team. He's a second stringer. So is Josh Sweat, who was a high draft pick not that long ago. So, I mean, this is a deep, powerful defensive line 
really, in a way, it's a taste of the 49ers' own medicine for them, right? Because they go against that deep, powerful defensive line in practice. Well, now they're going to go against it in a game. And Matt, we talk about Alex Mack. We talk about Mike McGlinchey's weight gain. We talk about Daniel Brunskill's improvement. And obviously, Trent Williams and Lakin Tomlinson on the left side. It's a good-looking 49ers offensive line, one through five. But uh, this is an early test to see what they're really made of. Yeah, I thought every every member of that group had a, had a good game. Probably it was best from left to right. Uh, Trent Williams, outstanding. Lakin Tomlinson was really good. Mack was really good. Uh, and the two right-side guys uh, delivered. I mean, that's where the, the touchdowns came from. Um, Elijah Mitchell's long run was on the right side. Uh, McGlinchey had a, a pancake block. Uh, Brunskill had a really nice block. I think uh, George Kittle took out two guys on that play. Charlie Warner was out there. Uh, it was just really well executed. Um, and, you know, uh, you, you can say that the Lions are, aren't that great. Uh, their, their defense struggled last year. They, they might not be any better this year. But when you're executing like that, um, you know, it just shows cohesion. And, and they have that this year. Um, you know, I, I saw an end zone shot of that play right at the, you know, sort of moment of truth when, when Mitchell is hitting the line of scrimmage. Dennis, you could you could uh, drive a, a horse and buggy through those holes. They were so big. And that's sort of what the 49ers are going to have to lean on this year. They don't have Raheem Mostert anymore. They're not going to have Jeff Wilson until the month of November. Um, they, they need uh, pretty anonymous uh, running backs to, to shine and uh, the, the best way to do that is to, to, to block like crazy, like they did on Sunday. Uh, that just needs to happen throughout the season. And I think that they can get away with not having any sort of uh, real marquee name, recognizable name, at running back this year. Well, I'm curious, and, and you two are, are more uh, in contact with the players, practices and coaches and press conferences. Trace Sherman, all accounts, I thought he was the number two running back. And last week he was a healthy scratch. And, you know, I, I just wonder, is, is he one of these players that are in Shanahan's doghouse? Because he was, you know, he, he was the number two running back, I thought, you know, during training camp, all during training camp, the preseason, you know, he was injured a little bit. But now I look at it and it looks like he's number three on the depth chart. So, I mean, what, what what's going on with, with him? Well, technically, he was even lower for the first game, right, since he was inactive and there were three guys ahead of him. So you could technically say he was number four. What I would say is that I don't think that we have the full story publicly there, but I do know a component of it is this. Elijah Mitchell in college played literally in the 49ers offense at Louisiana. I mean, these guys even sent out analysts to study the 49ers outside zone run game and Mitchell one cut outside zone back that that I think, you know, is a plug and play translation. Whereas Sermon in college, they did run a lot of outside zone at Ohio State, but but they ran a mix of stuff, and he had to be a little bit more of a patient runner. And I know the 49ers, for a fact, are still trying to hammer in the one cut and go mentality in Trey Sermon. Um, and he's going to have a chance to show it. Let, let me put that first in this game on Sunday because now the 49ers have to play him. Um, it, it's a situation where they've lost Raheem Mostert. They've lost Jeff Wilson, and yes, it is weird because Trey Sermon got – most of that first and second team action, it did look like he was higher up in the pecking order during training camp. That's why, why I wouldn't rule out it, uh, you know something else going down over the course of the week. But, but we know that's behind the 49ers now, and we know, Matt, that 
Trey is going to have to contribute now because it, it's up to these young guys with both Mostert and Wilson unavailable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they drafted him in the third round, um, and it's the highest uh, a running back's been drafted in the Shanahan era. So nothing the, – the way he runs and the offense that he ran in in college it isn't a surprise for them. So I, I agree with you. There's something going on there that we don't quite know about. Uh, you know, I was looking at the – at the pecking order in practice today. And remember, we, we're only there for the first 20 minutes, so we don't see a full practice. But what we see is the individual drills where you know the, the wide receivers do their drills and the running backs do their drills. And usually it, it, it follows the, the hierarchy. Uh, Raheem Mostert will take the first snap in any drill. And then um, you know from, from May and through August, it was Trey Thurman getting the the second one and um you know then it was uh th- then there was some um variability after that um, among uh Wayne Goleman and Jermichael Hasty and Mitchell uh and, and so that's where we thought that you know the the real question mark was which one of those guys makes the team uh but but Sermon seemed like you know a shoe in to be the the number 2 so i certainly didn't have any four knowledge of it. And I was uh, very surprised when I heard that number 28 was down for the game. Um, but like I said, during today's practice, uh, Sermon was, was, was the number three back. I mean, that, that's where he was in the rotation. So I don't, I don't know what happened to, to knock him down uh, to that point, Dennis. But um, I do know that you know, uh, Bobby Turner, um, the running backs coach, is very, very old school. So uh, you know, it doesn't even have to be anything uh, with with discipline, like missing a meeting or doing something with him. If you do something wrong, you're not minding your p's and q's. You fall, especially as a rookie. Uh, so that that may be behind it. Um, nobody has has said anything. I asked the agent; he claims not to know why it was. Uh, but David's right. I mean, they're going to have to rely on him. Um, you know, all of these guys, all, you know, during the offseason, we were talking about how deep that running back group was. They took two running backs in the draft. It seemed superfluous at that point. Now there's a real shortage of running backs, and they had to, to sign a guy today. Um, and Trenton Cannon, uh, I hadn't really ever heard of, but he's on the team. And I bet uh, he gets in uh, one of these games coming up because they're starting to get a little light at that position. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, you know, Matt, I think he does possibly play because the 49ers now have seven cornerbacks on the roster after they added Drake Kirkpatrick and they um, uh, put Dante Johnson permanently on that 53-man roster. So they have seven instead of six, which means that one of those corners now definitely is going to be inactive, I think. I don't think you activate all of them. And that means they might be able to activate all four running backs because Cannon can return kicks. So maybe the 49ers aren't happy with Ambry Thomas – returning kicks. I don't think he looked great. He didn't look good at all as a cornerback. Um, so maybe Cannon comes up and starts returning kicks, and that way you have at least 
one veteran running back dressed in, in in this game so you're not relying on all these you know rookies or in Jamichael Hasty's case a second year guy and that's going to be you know a, another matchup you know that's secondary against Devontae Smith I mean I, I don't know if you guys saw the game but Devontae went off you know yeah. six receptions 71 yards and he had one TD and but he just he he looked like he looked like a Heisman Trophy winner and now this and I can guarantee you you know you're going to you got these. You have two young corners there, and they're going to get attacked. They're going to be tested real quickly, uh, and you know that's that's going to be something to watch. You know, and if the pass rush can't get on target early and kind of get get Jalen Hurts kind of wrapped up, he's like a Russell Wilson guy. He's got a nice nice touch on that long ball. And he can get you with his legs, but that secondary is going to get tested real early. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this defense as a whole is going to get tested because what the Eagles showed us against the Falcons was a really balanced offense. Uh, first of all, you, you had 173 rushing yards. Miles Sanders leading the way, but Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, is mobile. He could run too. 62 yards on only 70 uh, on only seven carries. And guys, what what was really interesting to me is that. Philadelphia and Hurts did not throw the ball far downfield on average. Jalen Hurts averaged 3.7 air yards an attempt, by far the lowest of any quarterback in the NFL. Second lowest was 4.2. So he, he's averaging only throwing it three and a half to four yards down the line of scrimmage. And when I watch the, the tape of the game against the Falcons, it's just all about getting Jalen Rager, Devontae Smith, in space and then it's all about hitting those tight ends they have uh, Dallas Goddard and, and Zach Ertz still on the team so it's all about getting them the football too but mainly about getting athletes in space whether it be through the short passing game or uh, through Jalen Hurts running or Miles Sanders running and the Eagles effectively mixed and matched both of those and Matt it, it's the opposite of Detroit which didn't have weapons on the outside. That that was a very sorry receiving core that the Lions threw out there against the 49ers. And they, you know, didn't have a mobile quarterback, right? And Jared Goff, that's the opposite of Jalen Hurts. So so what we saw in the Lions was just, you know, trying to smash it up the middle. And it worked for a while against the 49ers until they fell well behind. Uh, if, if the 49ers can't stop the interior run in this game, there's a whole lot of other stuff Philadelphia can throw at the 49ers with the weapons that they have. So uh, the 49ers are going to have to be on those P's and Q's this week. Yeah, absolutely. And Dennis is right. Devontae Smith looks really smooth out there. It was just pitch and catch uh, between him and the quarterback. I think they, they targeted him eight times and he caught six passes for 71 yards um and and yeah it's uh, a lot of underneath stuff but they're moving the ball down the field um and I'm, I'm not exactly sure how you kind of stop that when you've got somebody who's so fluid uh like smith is um you know one one issue for the 49ers this week is that trey greenlaw is dealing with a groin strain didn't uh didn't practice on wednesday uh he seems to be moving okay but I, i'm not sure that he plays and uh, you know, he and, and Fred Warner and uh, Aziz Alshair are, are really good at getting to the sideline. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's an important thing in this game. So if, if Greenlaw is not there, uh, Alshair comes in, plays a lot more. Uh, Demetrius Flanagan Bowles probably plays his most extensive game. Uh, so they're, they're really going to be asking a lot of some unheralded linebackers in that situation. And then, of course, Dallas Goddard is, uh, I don't think he's quite as good as Hawkinson, but uh, he's, he's one of the top tight ends in the league. So I think it, uh, it'll be a busy day for that group. 
Um, they need a big outing from Kwan Williams, uh, and and I think he's up for it. I mean, that's going to be Dennis a really really good one. Any anytime that Smith and Kwan are matched up against each other. I think that, that 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 might be one of the marquee matchups of this game. Yeah, and if you watch Philadelphia, at least week one, there are a lot of draws and screens. And you know, you, you talk about those those quick passes, and a lot of them were just kind of outlet passes, you know, three yards down the field and then into space and then just kind of make things happen. So the linebackers is going to be important. And Philadelphia Philadelphia loves to run a lot of these these uh, two two tight end sets. Uh, and then just get to tight end the ball on some screens and some draws. So, you know, it's 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 going to be, you know, up front, the pressure is going to be important, but it's got to be a disciplined rush. Uh, you can't let this guy uh, get out the pocket because he can kill you with his legs and he's got a good arm. But he really just, he just wants to throw the ball short, like you said, Dave, and he wants to, to let his athletes make plays down the football field. So quarterback pressure, good positive pressure not just you know one side pressure where you can kind of run out the other side but just good pressure keeping him in the keeping him in the pocket not let him climb the pocket and that interior rush is going to be important come this week uh and then just the, the screens and draws and that's how that's how he built uh, Jalen built up his confidence in week one against the Falcons just screens and draws and then take your shots down the field so it's 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 going to be disciplined on the entire defense but that secondary has to bring their A game. Whoever is out there on the corners, they got to be ready because they're going to get tested real early. Well, first and foremost, Fort Anders had to slow the run better than they did against Detroit. I talked about this on the postgame show. Uh, Fort Anders dodged a bullet. I mean, Detroit ran for 88 yards in, in the first half, and really what allowed the Fort Anders run defense to, to get out of dodge was the fact that the two-minute drill came, and that forced the Lions to pass, and that's what led to the pick six from Jared Goff to Drake Greenlaw. Then the pick six obviously gave the 49ers a big enough lead to where the Lions only ran the ball like eight or nine times in the second half. Um, as I just said a few minutes ago, you don't get away with that against a better team like Philadelphia because you're not going to back into a blowout uh, as a defense the way that, that the 49ers uh, did against Detroit because 49ers offense is going to have to work a lot harder for, for some of those points and, and, and some of that big advantage early in the game. So, um, again, it's it's going to be about the details for the 49ers. I don't know if Philadelphia is a playoff caliber team yet, but I do know they're better than the Lions. I do know that they beat the Falcons 32-6. to And I do know that uh, what Dennis said about those two tight end sets is really interesting because it's going to put added strength on the 49ers linebackers whenever two tight ends or even one tight end lines up out there uh, the linebackers have to be ready to cover and they also have to be ready to defend the run and as I said the run is such a big key Matt Dre Greenlaw had some bad plays last week where he was out of position he attacked the wrong gap ended up stacked up on Fred Warner it allowed for a big run up the middle we'll see if Greenlaw plays obviously you talked about the groin injury but the point is that whoever's at that linebacker spot is going to have to account for those two Philadelphia tight ends in pass coverage but also stay faithful to the correct gap this time and clean up some of those technical issues. And, and that's a tough two-edged sword. That's a difficult assignment. But these linebackers are going to be really important for the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, Aziz Al-Shair is going to have to have the game of his life, I think, in order for the 49ers to really stifle that Eagles attack. The 49ers would also be helped if uh, Javon Kimmel were out there. He's their biggest 
certainly most physical interior defensive lineman, a guy who can really kind of hold the point and disrupt things on the inside. That would be uh, terrific to have him pressuring Jalen Hurts up the middle. Kyle Shanahan today said something that kind of flew under the, the radar, but it's it's really, uh, uh, I don't want to say disturbing, but uh, it, it could be prominent. Um, he noted that Kinlaw had that injury in Dallas, uh, I think it was week 15 last year, hurt his knee. Um, and goes on IR, and then he had it cleaned up in the offseason. And then this is Shanahan's quote, but it hasn't healed quite as right as we want. Um, And we all know that uh, Kinlaw keeps missing practice. He keeps having swelling in the knee. The the fact that uh, it was a cleanup procedure, i.e., on the scale of things, a a minor procedure that didn't heal quite right, to me is, you know, is alarming. Uh, and uh, the, the swelling will not go away permanently. It goes down a bit uh, whenever he doesn't play, but as soon as he does, it's sort of like Jalen Hurd. Uh, when, when these guys play a lot, uh, the, the, the knees act up and they can't uh, keep it down for a period of time. That's, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, this is the guy uh, that uh, they want to you know, not replace DeForest Buckner, but certainly took his place in the starting lineup. Uh, and, and he hasn't played in a while. And um, they could really use him, Dennis, in this game against Hurt and the Eagles. Yeah, and they could have used him last week because, like you said, he's the biggest guy on campus. And, and he's, he's, he absorbs those double teams, sometimes triple teams. And he allows those linebackers to kind of flow uh, and those guards and centers aren't able to get to the next level and block block the linebacker. But, you know, he's, he's a young kid. And, and when I hear you say they went in and cleaned up a knee, I kind of know what that means. That means they go and they get all the little floating, uh, I forget what they used to call them, floating antibodies that are just kind of floating around in your knee. They try to clean it up, uh, and that's supposed to help the swelling. But if they don't get it all out, you continue to get the swelling in the knee. Happened to me, but... Um, you know, Javon is, is a young dude. He's got to understand that, you know, this is the opportunity. And, you know, I know it's a different athlete right now, but, you know, you got to be able to play through some of this stuff. You know, you know, if it's if it's, you know, 80 percent, you got to be able to, to go out there and kind of play on that because, you know, it's your, your time becomes real short, especially if you can't practice and, you know, if you can't play, especially. But, you know, some of these injuries, it just seems it just seems odd to me that the 49ers have so many guys that continue to be hurt. And I know they kind of revamped their entire medical staff and their training staff, but it doesn't seem like it's working. So something else is going on, I think, that, you know, these guys just can't stay on the practice field or Sunday in football games. And, I, and, it, and it kind of blows my mind. It's, it's, I'm curious of why. I, I, I don't follow other teams, but it just seems like the 49ers, has, they have a lot of guys that just cannot stay healthy. And everybody we talk about, we say, only if he can stay healthy. That's, that, that was, that's the thing. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be great. And these guys end up getting hurt sometime during the football season. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess it's fitting to say it's the Achilles heel of, of this roster. I mean, it's if it is healthy, it's so talented, but we saw disastrous – uh, a disastrous turn of events in 2020 when the 49ers had more injuries than ever really in documented NFL history. And you're absolutely right, Dennis. I think Matt brings a, a great point. I didn't really hone in on that one particular Shanahan quote as closely as I should have, but he, he did say when he hurt his knee in Dallas last year, it was a pretty bad injury that he ended up going on IR for. 
he got it cleaned up, but it still hasn't healed quite as right as we want. That's about Javon Kinlaw and talking about an injury that happened almost a year ago and saying that it hasn't healed up quite as right as the 49ers want despite an operation. Uh, that makes you a little queasy, especially considering how important Javon Kinlaw is to this entire 49ers defensive operation. If you can't stop the interior run, you don't get to pass rush as much. And if you don't get to pass rush as much, then your cornerbacks, who definitely aren't the strong suit of your team, don't look as good. I mean, it, it is all a large domino effect, and injuries threaten the entire integrity of, of the operation. So um, uh, it, it's something that we don't really have a, a great answer to because part of it has been, Matt, uh, the 49ers – propensity to draft players with some injury histories I know Javon Kinlaw did have a knee issue coming out of college but that's something that they tried to change this offseason right the, they, they really in the draft emphasized availability and I think even in free agency they emphasized availability but it, it might take a couple years for the fruits of you know that effort to really become apparent because they do still have a lot of these players who they seem to have drafted and acquired uh, not paying attention or disregarding the, the availability aspect. They're looking for value on the field, but sometimes value on the field doesn't you know, actually come to fruition when that player is like Kinlaw and, and he's spending more time, at least so far this season, on the sideline instead of on the playing field during practice. Let's talk about that, that draft class because it, it, it had a, a prominent uh, week one and you, you have this kind of odd phenomenon, uh, you know, keeping – Trey Lance out of the equation for the moment. Um, they they went they doubled up uh, on three different positions. They got two running backs, they got two cornerbacks, and they got two offensive linemen. And in each case, it's the the second guy who was drafted. The, the guy who was drafted later on, who's supposed to be not as good as the guy who was drafted early, who ends up being. The, the better player, uh, at least early on, and at least in week one. Elijah Mitchell over Trey Sermon, Jalen Moore over Aaron Banks, and then, uh, who am I forgetting here? Oh, uh, Diamondor Lenore over Ambry Thomas. I mean, it's, it's very weird. It's like an upside-down draft this year. Um, and, you know, you, you can't, you know, really uh, fault them or get on them for missing on early guys because they're, they're hitting on some of these later guys. I mean, the fifth round... Looks like another genius round for them with uh, Lenore, Moore, and Hufanga all playing prominent roles this summer. You know, Moore didn't get into the game, but he would if, if anybody got hurt on that line. So uh, it's sort of an oddball year right off the bat, um, and, and injuries have not been an issue for that class aside from Banks' shoulder injury, but uh, that does not seem to be an issue right now, but it just kind of struck me as uh, as an oddity this uh, this offseason. Yeah, and you talk about draft. I mean, you know, last year we saw Brandon Ayuk just have a have a bust out season and haven't seen much from him, uh, you know, this season at all or even during camp or doing um, the preseason. Then I, you know, I saw a quote Shanahan saying now he has to earn his time on the football field. So, you know, it's it's interesting because usually your high draft picks are the guys that contribute early uh, on the football team. You know, there's there's not much of a learning curve. They're they're in there at some point early during the season and they contribute. And it just seems like last year, you know, Brandon Ayuk was a guy. I thought he was going to be a NFL superstar. 
And now I'm just kind of waiting to see if he's if he's still on the team. I haven't even seen him on. I, I know he played last week, but you know, no targets. I didn't you know hear his name. So there's there's someone else that I'm you know I'm waiting to see how is year one to year two, and seeing the quote from from Shanahan today now it makes me worried. Is he going to be another guy that's going to be in the doghouse? And I don't understand these young kids being in the head coach's doghouse and you're in the NFL and you're expected to play football. The Ayuk situation is complicated because he had that hamstring in the back half of training camp, and that was mixed in around the same time as he dropped the two passes one from Trey Lance that was earlier in the preseason and then the week later he dropped the, the third down pass from Garoppolo that was a little high would have been a good catch but both times I don't think Shanahan was particularly pleased uh, with with Ayuk not holding on to it because we do know that Shanahan seems to be extra particular about receivers that's the position that he played but it, it is worth noting that every single time that Kyle Shanahan has talked about Brandon Ayuk he makes sure to mention the hamstring injury. Today, I count it three times. He mentioned that Brandon Ayuk missed time with his hamstring injury, and that is why Shanahan always ties that in with why Ayuk has been inconsistent. And today, yes, he did have that quote that said he's got to be a lot better than the guy behind him if he wants to go out there every single play. He's referring to Trent Sherfield. But he also said, I'm happy with Ayuk. It's nothing against Ayuk. The emphasis was that Trent Sherfield has just come out of nowhere, really, and he was a great special teams player in the NFC West for the Cardinals before this, but Trent Sherfield has really impressed the 49ers at receiver. And, and Matt, it seems to be a, a bit of a perfect storm, right? It seems to be that uh, Ayuk had the hamstring, lost maybe some rapport with the quarterbacks. Obviously, the drops didn't come at the right time in, in the preseason, even though there were only two of them. And... Trent Sherfield, in the meantime, really surged to the point where they split reps in the game against the Lions. And I would just really encourage people to, to look at this as a long season kind of thing because Ayuk is going to have, presumably, a chance to redevelop rapport with the quarterbacks in practice as he gets further away from the hamstring injury. He's healthy now. He's even returning punts. And when that happens... I think the 49ers expect the talent from 2020 uh, 20 to, to, sh to shine through. That being said, because they have such a good roster and Sherfield's there and he's playing well, they're not going to give Brandon Ayuk anything for free. Kyle Shanahan is more than happy to kick back and let these guys fight for it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are, are worried that we've got another Dante Pettis situation on our hand with Ayuk, and I really don't think that this is a Pettis situation. I mean, Pettis... There, there, there were issues with, with how he operated on the field, um, you know, not from lack of effort, but he, he wasn't great, um, you know, with, with press coverage. He wasn't great over the middle. He had that play in the opener last year. Remember, both Ayuk and Samuel were hurt for that. So it was, it was Kendrick Bourne and Pettis who were the starting receivers. He got one target, Pettis did, that, that deep ball from Garoppolo, and didn't really make an effort for it. And we didn't, we didn't see much from him at all the rest of the year. And he was cut uh, after week seven. Uh, so it, it, it's not the same situation. Ayuk's uh, effort, I mean, he got bigger, stronger in the offseason. He's hungry. He'll go over the middle. He's going to leap for every ball that, that's near him, etc. I do think, though, that with Shanahan, there is a thing with second-year players. He um, thinks that you know the, the second year is the important year 
Um, he thinks that there's, uh, he's worried that there's a tendency to coast a little bit because you're rookie, you're, you're always kind of fighting, you're, you're always pushing to learn more, you, you realize you're behind the eight ball. Second year players tend to get a little comfortable. And I think he's guarding against that with Brandon Ayuk. That, that happened to Akella Witherspoon in, in 2018. And that was the, the, the infamous uh, benching game. Uh, against the Packers uh, that, that came back to bite the 49ers. But there was a sense that um, Witherspoon felt like he had made it. His hand had been stamped. And uh, I, think, uh, I think Shanahan is very leery of that. And you're right. There's, there's the hamstring injury. There's, there's this, that. Maybe he's not in the, the best shape because he, uh, he missed so many days with the hamstring injury. Uh, but uh, it's, it's also clear from what Shanahan is saying is that He's pushing this guy. He's saying, there's a guy uh, who's neck and neck with you right now in Trent Sherfield. You've got to beat him and do it prominently in order to get the lion's share of the, of the snaps next to Debo Samuel. So I think that's all at play, but you're right. I mean, the, the sheer talent uh, for Brandon Ayuk is there. Uh, it's all going to come together. Maybe not this week, though, uh, but in the near future. That receiving room is is crazy talented. And like I said, as long, long as you can keep Jimmy Garoppolo, and here we go, keep him healthy, keep him upright. You know, this this team can go deep into playoffs and, and end up in another Super Bowl. But again, it's it's the health. You know, you know, if Brandon Ayuk can come back and be the Brandon Ayuk he was his rookie season, and you got Sherfield, we see what he can do. And Debo, we you know, Debo just went off against the Lions. Uh, and, you know, the, the running game. I mean, this you can't stop this offense. And, you know, the only way you can stop this offense is if, if, there's, if, if there's some type of injuries. And it seems like, you know, that's the Achilles heel, like you said. It's funny you use that analogy, the Achilles heel, uh, about this team. But that's what it is. It, you know, if you can keep guys healthy, it's hard to stop this Shanahan offense. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a balanced offense, just like the Eagles tried to run and will try to run against the 49ers. So when you have balance and you, you execute that balance well, uh, good things tend to happen. And I think that's why this is going to be such a good game. Uh, I haven't even thought about who uh, I think is going to win this game. I've been so caught up with some of the 49ers injuries and, and looking at the Eagles, and now I need to apply it to uh, a prediction. Uh, so I'll just you know kind of go – um, really quickly here, I'm, I'm formulating it in my head as we speak. Uh, you know, I think the 49ers do have the better quarterback. I haven't seen enough from Jalen Hurts to, to really say that he's made a massive stride. That was one game. I, I do think that uh, he has improved, but I also do think the 49ers will be a little bit more ready for uh, the offense that Nick Sirianni, the, the new Eagles coach, is going to run with Jalen Hurts because they do now have a game of film on it. So I do think that we'll see a nice game from the 49ers defense. Probably not a perfect one because uh, they are a little beaten up and they will be working in some new stuff, especially at the cornerback position. But I think that 49ers offense right now is a buzzsaw. And, and I think it, it, is, it is hard to defend. So I think we're going to see another 30-point game against a good defense, and I think the 49ers will win this game 31-24. to What do you guys think? I'm going with 30-17. Uh, to 17 And, uh, you know, a couple of names we haven't mentioned in this 45-minute uh, you know, podcast, Nick Bosa, uh, D4, George Kittle. I mean, they, th- those guys uh, played really well in week one. They're, they're still 
upright and healthy, and uh, they they give the 49ers a really nice advantage. And we should note that, you know, uh, coming out of week two last year, that was that terrible game against the Jets. Uh, you know, the, the 49ers were even more devastated than they are now, and they still won the next week handily uh, against the Giants. A, a bad Giants team, albeit, but, you know, Raheem Mostert wasn't in that game. Uh, Kittle wasn't in that game. Garoppolo wasn't in that game. Bosa wasn't in that game. Ford wasn't in that game. Uh, so uh, my point is that uh, you know it, it's bad right now. We're talking about injuries again, unbelievably, but it's not quite as bad as it was at this point a year ago. And they were still able to eke out some wins. So uh, I, I think they'll do the same in Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, personally, I hate this matchup. You know, I look at this this quarterback, and he he just reminds me of a young Russell Wilson. And we know the trouble that the 49ers have with a mobile quarterback. And it just scares me a little bit because you don't have that interior rush that you have. You have the outside, but that interior opens up and you have a second. You have a good linebacking crew, but you got a secondary that's going to be spotty. We don't even know who's going to start at the corner positions. And you have a good receiver uh, in Devontae Smith. So it scares me a little bit. I think... I think the offense is going to do their job. I think as far as the defense goes, there's going to be some struggles. So I'm going to go Eagles 27-24 uh, just because I don't like this quarterback. I don't like the matchup with the 49ers defense and this mobile quarterback. Well, it's going to be a, a fascinating game just because it's early in the season and we're still trying to figure out what everybody has exactly. I think the Eagles surprised some people in week one. Uh, the 49ers, for all intents and purposes, didn't really – um, uh, <laughs> didn't really surprise anybody except for the last couple minutes of the game that that got ugly. But I don't think that's as predictive uh, about what this team is about as the first fifty-seven minutes or so. But um, the first fifty-seven minutes or so came against the Lions, and the Eagles are better than the Lions. So that is the question that we will see answered on Sunday. Anyway, for Dennis Brown and Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you all next time.